Well, good morning, church family. How are we doing today? You bunch of church people. Sometimes that can be a little challenging. And uh, we, we bring a lot to the table in who we are. Obviously, today we're starting a new series called Church People. And before we go any further and, and get going, I'd like to just stop and pray. So let's do that real quick. Lord, we just stop right now and acknowledge our need for you. Lord, I cannot properly teach your word. and We cannot properly hear, receive, understand your word without your help. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would be at work in me as I speak and teach. And Lord, I ask that you would be in work, at work in the hearts of all who are listening. I ask that you would be at work to bring about transformation and that you would be glorified in what you do today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, real quick show of hands. How many in the house today are married people? Married people. We're not doing a marriage series. Okay, that's a lot. It's more than not. Nice. So if you're married, and if you've been married any length of time, you will remember that honeymoon season, right? Where you're newlyweds, and it's that point where you're still getting to know each other, even though, uh, depending on how long your dating season was or your engagement season was, you've gotten to know each other so much, and you've fallen in love. And, and in that moment, and in that season, in that era, it feels like, oh, they can do no wrong. They're just perfect. And then you give it maybe, maybe for some of you, a couple hours into the honeymoon. Uh, <laughs> Maybe a couple of weeks, a couple months, probably not a year before you realize that's not accurate and true. And maybe a certain amount of time for some where it's no longer they can do no wrong, but they can do nothing right. And even though these two people who have become so enamored with each other to the extent that they're willing to go into covenant and commit themselves to one another for the rest of their lives, reality hits that as much as I have found in this person so much wonderful things, so much that I, that I want to be with them forever, they don't get the socks to the hamper. Or they put the toilet paper on the wrong way. Come on, guys. It's over. Over. Not under. Oh, y'all are encouraging me to preach today. You better stop. It's over, Okay. You squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom of the tube, okay? Man, I feel the Holy Spirit in this. I was, this one in my notes. Anyways, but you start to find all those different things, and obviously those are silly. Those are petty, but uh, oftentimes much deeper wounds and hurts come from someone whom we love so much and loves us so much. And it, it's funny, we come to church as a church family, People who gather together because of our common faith, our union in the spirit, and the bond of Jesus Christ. And we are called by scripture and also um, spurred by the Holy Spirit to love one another and commanded by the word of God to do so as well. And in the marriage covenant, we, we give grace, hopefully we, we offer forgiveness and grace, but sometimes we're a little less likely to do so in relationships that are outside of marriage, because in marriage, you've got that covenant, you've got that ring, you're like, we're in this together, thick and thin, for better, for worse, rich or poor, all that. But church family, you know, I, someone makes me mad enough, I can go to another church. If somebody hurts me deep enough, I can avoid them or not be around them or I can whatever. And the truth is 
that when you've got a bunch of sinners, you and me, all of us, imperfect people, pursuing a perfect God together, it's messy. It is messy. It it always has been and it always will be until the day when Christ returns and all things are made new and there is no longer at that point any more sin or evil or wickedness. That day is the day that we can hope for, a day in which we can glorify and worship God together without hurting each other. But just like the husband and wife who love each other, Still, whether intentionally or even just unintentionally, any spouses in the house can raise a hand and say, yeah, I've even accidentally hurt my spouse before. Yeah, no, oh, I'm the only one, okay. (laughs) Sorry, honey. (laughs) Got a lot of growing to do, a lot of learning to do. Even the most godly, most mature, most faithful, most full of the Holy Spirit person you know is still being sanctified. That's a a biblical term, a churchy term for still being perfected. That's why Philippians 1.6, you've heard me say it many times, Paul said to the Philippians, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the perfect day. Meaning, as long as you're here in this world, in this life, until Christ comes back, you will still be being matured, pruned, refined, perfected, sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God and often through people in your life, that God will use relationships to mature you and prune you. This massive group of people, all of us and all who we are, bring all that we are to the table, all of our baggage, all of our preconceived ideas, all of our experiences and opinions and passions we bring to the party. And I'm always really encouraged whenever I, I meet new people, I always try and look for people that I don't know that I can go introduce myself to. And I'm always encouraged when it's someone who maybe it's their second, third week, whatever, and uh, I'll talk to them about the church, how do they find Word of Grace. And a, a lot of times I hear people say, oh, I just love it here. It's so great for this reason or that reason. Like, you're the best preacher I've ever heard in my life, and that's what I, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just prayed, Lord, help me resist pride. Whatever it is, all the different things that people say as to what they, and people are like, everybody's so, so friendly and welcoming and kind, and, um, and sometimes people will come here from another church, and sometimes people will come here from a church where someone hurt them or offended them, and sometimes People will begin telling me their stories of what was wrong about the church that they were at or how someone hurt or wronged them. And I always try and take those opportunities to say something like, hey, stick around long enough and we'll offend you too. And and that's because we are all flawed. We are all still sinners. We are all still growing in our relationship with the Lord. We're all still being sanctified and matured in the Lord. Or it's only going to be a matter of time before someone hurts you here also is something that I'll say. Because sometimes we come to a new place, a new season, like the honeymoon jaded glasses. We'll bring those jaded glasses to a church. And the only thing that people can see sometimes is, is it's not where they were. Almost like there was a bad breakup where you're dating and you have the bad breakup and then you meet someone new on the rebound and you're like, oh, this person's nothing like that person. And it's only a matter of time before you fart, start, whoa, before you fart. <laughs> you know what, guys? We should probably just stop today. It's been good. Let's get out of here. Lord, do what you want to do. It's only a matter of time before you start getting to know someone close enough, well enough, 
to find their dirt and to even sometimes be wounded by it. And those jaded glasses will skew your ability to have a realistic expectation. And so why is that? Why, why do we hurt each other and fail each other? And aren't we supposed to be Christians? Have you ever had someone say that to you when, when, when maybe you've been interacting with them a certain way and they say, oh, I thought you were a Christian. You're supposed to be a, a Christian. Why, are you act, why would you do? Why would you say? And yes, yes, we are supposed to be Christians, but we are not Christ himself. Christian meaning Christ follower, not Christ himself. There is only ever one person who can bear the expectations of perfection, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who can live up to the expectations of perfection. And what happens is we know that all of us are following and pursuing this perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, and that we are in our pursuit of him, following him, to be formed more and more into the image of Christ is what scripture says. The more we spend time with him, the more we spend time in his word, the more we spend time gathering together in worship, the more we're spending time in prayer, the more we look at Jesus, the more we look like Jesus, yet we are still not perfect. And those imperfections will come out from time to time. And unfortunately, sometimes those imperfections cause wounds or hurts or offenses between each other. We're not Christ. There's only ever been one person who is capable of treating every person, every single human with perfect love, perfect care, perfect gentleness, perfect kindness, perfect patience, perfect understanding, perfect empathy, perfect justice, perfect mercy, the perfect man, the perfect God, Jesus Christ. He will never fail you. He will never break a promise. He will never come short on his love and care for you. He will never do what is bad for you. He will never skip out on being there for you. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He is the only one who has ever been and ever will be perfect. And get this, that perfect one forgave you. And he forgave me. Let's think about that for a moment. The only one who ever lived a perfect life. The only one who has a right to say, get away from me, get out of here, you're not on my level. The only one who has a right to say that, a right to push us all away, a right to withdraw from those who offended him and sinned against him. The only one who has the right to reject those who failed him, resisted him, mocked him, fought him, persecuted him, rejected him, denied him, beat him, whipped him, crucified him. He forgave them. He forgave us, you, and me. And that is is the model, the standard, the invitation for all of us who are following him. He modeled for us the embodiment of grace and forgiveness. And if we are following him, longing to be formed more and more into the image of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God, 
then absolutely we are to look at the way he forgave, the mercy and grace he offered to all of us as messed up as we all are. Listen, I've been in ministry full-time since 2005, and that's been long enough for me to know you're all messed up. Every single one of you, myself included. And all the people who you're like, oh, I, I, they're so, the, the, the Christians that you look up to the most, I've been in this long enough to know we're all messed up. And that's one of the things that gets in the way of authenticity, gets in the way of us being vulnerable with one another, gets in the way of us being willing to humble ourselves and confess our sins to one another, is these masks, these fake ideas that church culture has created where we've got to pretend that we're perfect. Guys, let me just stand up here to say to all of you, you're not. You're messed up. I'm messed up. We're all messed up. And we all need the grace of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. That was a good amen. (laughs) Sometimes what we do is, oh, I'll forgive them, but I ain't going to forget. I'll forgive them, but I'm, really? Really? Do you mean to tell me that you have some moral ground to stand on to hold a different standard of forgiveness than Jesus Christ? Because Jesus, and Scripture teaches us that he said he would throw or cast our sins away into the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Aren't you thankful? I am. That when Jesus looks at you, no matter how bad your sin is or was, that if you are in Christ, having confessed your sin, repented from sin, and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your hope in him for salvation, if you've done that, when God the Father, the judge who sees all, looks at you, he does not see your sin. He doesn't see your imperfection, your incompletion, your unworthiness. He looks at you and sees the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, and he forgets your sin. He doesn't hold it over your head, and that ought to make you say, thank you, Jesus. Amen? The one who who gives us grace and forgiveness and love and mercy freely and liberally and abundantly, perpetually. Therefore, then calls us to forgive the same way. When you withhold forgiveness from someone else, that's like you stealing a car and then taking someone to court because they stole your Snickers. It's because you don't realize the gravity of your sin against God, but you magnify someone else's sin against you. Let's turn real quick in scripture to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, I'm not gonna read all of it today. We're gonna read verses 21 through 35, where Jesus had just talked to these people about what to do when someone offends you, and Aaron's gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks, so I won't step on his toes, but I'm gonna pick up in Verse 21, Matthew 18 and 21, it says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, talking to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven times seven? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times seven, but 70 times seven. Now, I'll pause for a moment. In ancient Jewish culture, you were respectable if you offered forgiveness to someone three times. 
That was kind of the standard MO, is that if someone has wronged you in a certain way, you should forgive them for it three times. So when, when Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, how often should we forgive someone? Like seven times? He thinks he's putting them, himself out there in an impressive way. He thinks he's putting himself out there to Jesus to go, how often should we forgive? Like, I know everyone's like three times, but I've been following you long enough to know how you are, so seven times, right? Number of completion, perfection, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And that wasn't meant to say, okay, let me do, drop the number or do the math real quick and find out how many times so I can keep a log of how many times I'm supposed to forgive someone. That was Jesus trying to say, don't keep count. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Don't sit here tallying how many times someone has wronged you, hurt you, or offended you. Instead, don't keep count. Just keep forgiving. Just keep forgiving. Again, isn't it good that Jesus isn't keeping a count and tally against us? If you don't think it's good, let me tell you it's good. Because we're probably not honest with ourselves about how often or frequently we fall short and stumble and sin. Listen, no one has ever sinned against you greater than you have sinned against God. I'm gonna say that one more time. No one has ever sinned against you greater than you have sinned against God. Well, Pastor Stephen, that might be an unfair generalization. No, it's not. I do not in any way wanna minimize your pain or, or, or the wounds you have experienced at the hands of other people. I'm not trying to downplay that, but if you think that anything that anyone has done wrong against you is greater than your sin against the perfect, holy, and righteous God, then you have far too low a view of the holiness of God and far too simple and petty of a view of the gravity of your sin. I would remind you of the very first sin where God told Adam and Eve, you shall not touch or eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, the day that you do, you will surely die. Now, we in our modern fallen minds tend to go, wow, that's a bit of an overreaction. Like just touching a tree or eating the fruit, like really, I mean, we're not talking about murder, we're not talking about theft, we're not talking about all these different things that are a lot worse than that. But if we look at that response and think, oh, this is an overreaction. It's because we do not think God is as holy as he is. We have far too low a view of his holiness and far too low of a view of the gravity of our sin. Jesus, the perfect, holy, righteous God, the one who knew no sin, Never, ever did a thing wrong, never thought or even desired an evil thing. When we have wronged him in any way, it is a capital sin. It is grievous. And we, we like to categorize, uh, this is a little white lie over here. Oh, it's just a little gossip. Oh, it's, uh, it's Thanksgiving, you know, it's not really gluttony at that point. We like to make excuses and we like to categorize our sins to make ourselves feel better by looking at other people in condemnation, judgment, and um, while, while sweeping under the rug our own sins. It's the, the, the plank and the splinter in the eye. 
no one has ever sinned or uh, no one has ever sinned against you greater than you've sinned against God. Let's keep on reading uh, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I read the 70 times seven. Let's pick up verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, this is Jesus talking, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. He was sold into slavery to pay off that debt. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's a lot less, a lot less than all the talents that this individual owed. He found a servant who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his uh, fellow servant fell down and pleaded to them, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Notice the unforgiving servant was giving, given back to the jailer. This guy who had a massive debt forgiven yet looks at someone who owes him with a much smaller debt and says, you must repay, you must repay. You can't, to jail. How dare you? And the master hears, sends him back to the jailer to then pay everything he owed. Now we must remember his debts. If we consider that unforgiveness towards someone else requires payment then for your own debts. I want to remind you, what does scripture say is the wages of sin? Death. So that he was sent back to the jailer to repay all that he owed. And when you consider the gravity of this parable of what Jesus is sharing, saying if you cannot forgive someone else, so your father will do to you, sending you back to repay all that you owe. Listen, every sin that has ever been committed in all of history will be judged and it will be paid for. And the wages of sin is death. And there is one of two options. Every sin you have ever committed in your life will either be judged by God as you stand before him on judgment day or your sin will be judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. Friends, You want your sin judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
You want to place all of your hope. You want to put all your eggs in that basket. You want to cash all your checks on Jesus's bank account because your funds are insufficient. And it is all of that that ought to make us go, man, this Jesus Christ who is the benevolent, rich in love and mercy and forgiveness, holy God, who has every right to throw me into condemnation because of my sin. He heard my plea asking for forgiveness and mercy, and he granted that request. My only response is to those who have wronged me less than I have wronged him is to repay that grace and pay it forward. That same grace, mercy, and forgiveness that was given to me, I am required by the God who forgave me of more to now be a conduit of that same grace and mercy and forgiveness. Your debt will either be paid on judgment day or your debt will have been paid on the cross of Christ. I think I know which one we would prefer, amen? The next thing to notice, what's the very last thing he says in verse 35? So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. What's these next three words? From your heart. If you do not forgive your brother, your sister, whomever it may be, if you do not forgive them from your heart, which is why this concept, this idea of, oh, I'll forgive them, but you know, I'm gonna take a step around when I see them coming or I'll go the other way or I'll forgive them but I'm not going to really have anything to do with them. I'll forgive them, but I'm not going to, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'll get over it, but, uh, you know, I'll forgive them, but I won't forget. Jesus said, so will the Father do to you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. That's the hard part. All of us can do the thing where we play the game, put on the mask, and we do our acting hypocritical thing, where it's like, okay, yeah, sure, I forgive you. We're all, none of us are perfect. I forgive you, brother Johnny. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> oh, God bless you, brother. I'll see you around. <laughs> all of us can do that. Jesus is holding us, just like in every area, to the standard of what's happening in our hearts. This idea that we'll forgive them but won't forget, that you're storing up in your heart with this anti-Christian pseudo-forgiveness, not true forgiveness, it's no forgiveness at all, it is an act. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Remember from Matthew 6? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we hold it over other people's heads. And wait, something didn't sound right there, right? No, what, is the, what did Jesus say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed our debts against us or sin against us. Jesus setting out the model of prayer says that when you're talking to God, say, God, forgive me just as I forgive others. See, what this teaches us from Jesus, from this passage in Matthew 18 and from even the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, that a receiver of grace is a giver of grace. If you have received the grace of God, the natural, true, default response that doesn't need coaching is to be a giver of grace. And like that wicked servant 
who received forgiveness, they recognized that they had been forgiven, but they didn't truly understand and feel the gravity of the grace they had received because if they had, they would have been one to continue to freely give it. As you have freely received, so freely give. And so we can be a people who in our minds give mental assent to understanding what forgiveness is and we can receive forgiveness, but if you receive forgiveness and then don't give forgiveness, that means you only nominally in your mind understand forgiveness and you have no concept or understanding of true grace. Because if you received the grace of God in a way that wasn't just something in your head but sunk down into your heart where you understand how holy God is and how dirty we are in sin, that he welcomed us and brought us near by the blood of Christ on the cross, then the gravity of that sinking into our hearts drives us to then see all people and their sin and the wounds and hurts and wrongs, that, mean, that doesn't mean we just sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen. That doesn't mean we don't address it, don't deal with it, don't, don't seek reconciliation, don't go to, we're gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks. The bottom line is though, if you have truly, and I'm gonna emphasize that word, truly, if you have truly received the grace of God, then you will be someone who then gives the grace of God. And if you don't, if you're someone who withholds forgiveness or gives it pseudo false forgiveness where you're like, I forgive you, but you better make it right. Or I forgive you, but I'm going to, if it's that, then that means you don't truly understand the grace of God in your heart. What do I mean by that? If you've been forgiven but don't offer it to others, that means you think you deserved forgiveness. And that you then have a right to withhold it from others because they don't deserve it. And it means you don't understand and believe the gospel wherein Jesus Christ came giving grace, the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. The love of God given to us whom don't deserve it. Do I need to to remind us of the grace of God? Do I need to go back to Ephesians 2? Where where Paul, I, I quote this a lot, but it's so needed. It's so powerful and so true. Ephesians 2 where Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked, following the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul gives that very sobering reminder, you were dead in sin, and you followed the demonic spiritual influences, you followed the desires and passions of your flesh like the rest of mankind. And then comes the gospel. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were still sinners, forgave us. It is by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you withhold forgiveness from others, it's because you don't know or believe the gospel. 
Let's look at what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 really quick. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 3, he's exhorting all the believers there in their interactions and relating to one another at this point of his letter. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this, put on then, put on, like clothe yourself. By, by decision, choose to take this on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Because God chose you and because therefore you're holy and beloved by God, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body. In one body you were called. And be thankful. What I love about this passage is the Apostle Paul is preaching to the Colossians and, and to us, once more trying to help us see that when we're called as God's chosen and holy and beloved people to bear with one another and put on kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and if someone has a wrong against you, just as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So you also must do. Listen, knowing you must forgive is not enough for it to hit your heart. Just knowing you're supposed to. You could be sitting here today and going, okay, okay, I get it. The Bible says I have to forgive. So <sighs> I really can't stand that person, but I, I hear you. I see what the Bible says. So, okay, I'll forgive them. I'm not going to like them, but I'll forgive them. And that's just like all you parents with your kids when they fought and you say, tell them you're sorry. And the kids go, sorry. And what's the next thing you parents say? Come on, preach it louder. What do you say? Say it like you mean it. And then what do the kids do? They go, I'm sorry. And maybe once more, maybe you're like, no, come on. Say it like you mean it. And they might know you're not giving this up until you get the visual response you're looking for. And so they'll go, I'm sorry. Do they mean it? In that moment, no, they don't. And if your forgiveness is just going, okay, well, the Bible says so, so I forgive you because I don't want that whole repaying my debt thing. So, yeah. Okay, I forgive you. How do we say it like we mean it? We say it like we mean it by hearing what Paul's saying here in Colossians 3. We say it like we mean it by looking at Christ, by looking at Jesus, by beholding his infinite grace, love, and mercy, 
by beholding his sacrifice on the cross. When you behold his love, his passion, his suffering, the perfect man, God in the flesh, who took on the form of a servant while being God, and he came to us who had wronged him, and he took our sin upon him, and he took our place on the cross, dying a brutally painful death in our place. And we're like, but Susie hurt my feelings. Did Susie crucify you? No. We're like, well, well, Johnny liked Timmy's comments on that post and not mine. Or Josie didn't wave at me. Or they said that thing. And, and, and of course, I'm hitting the more silly and petty examples. Maybe it's something way deeper and way more painful than that. They said this about me. They gossiped about me. They, they defamed my reputation and name amongst the body of Christ. How could I forgive them? They, they did this terrible thing, this, that, they, they, whatever it might be. And I understand those things can be incredibly painful and, and absolutely there should be reconciliation. There should be work done there to bring harmony back into the relationship. But part of that is our willingness to not withhold forgiveness. When you look at the loving sacrifice of Christ that caused him to pardon our sin and not only pardon it, but also suffer for it, it changes our heart. That's how we say it like we mean it. Not by looking at the commands and going, well, I guess I have to, but by beholding the man, the God who embodied and displayed the greatest act of forgiveness that has ever been or ever will be. And when you recognize what you have done wrong against him, and that he still saw every nook and cranny of the darkest, deepest recesses of sin in your heart. He knows the worst things about you. He knows the things that no one else knows and still looks on you with love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. <sighs> then it sets you free to take that burden of offense and bitterness off and set it aside and go, if Christ can forgive the wicked vileness of what I have brought into relationship with him, then I need to extend that same grace to others. We take note of Jesus' words on the cross. You remember when he's up there. He's already been beaten. He's already been betrayed. He's already been stripped naked. He's already been whipped. He's already been spat on his face. He's already had his beard torn from his face. He's already had a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. He's already had to bear that cross up the Via De La Rosa. He's already had to have his hands and feet nailed to that cross. He's been hanging up there, asphyxiating, suffocating under the weight of his own body with his lungs expanded in his rib cage, having to painfully pull himself up by the weight of his body on nails just so he can get a breath, breath again and let himself back down. He's going through all of this and he looks at soldiers who are mocking him. The one who could say, smitten. The one who could just go, oh, 
and float off the cross. The one who could blink and make all of them fall over dead if he wanted to looks at those soldiers who are mocking the king of glory. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think that ought to be the fruit of the grace of God in our hearts and lives. What if the first thing you did when someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you, when someone offends you, whatever it might be, what if the very first thing you did was go, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they did to me. Maybe they did know. Maybe you're going, they did that on purpose. Let's be like Jesus and just go, I'm going to offer forgiveness. These guys didn't even ask for it. That's something else we do. If they come to me and make it right, I'll forgive them. What if before they even came, we just said, I'm going to forgive them right away. And I would hope they would come to me and make it right, and maybe I need to go to them. And again, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But what if by default, as people who have received the grace of God and have had this model put forth in Jesus Christ, what if we were a people who before anything else happened, we were hurt and wounded, and we just went, oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, help me forgive them. They don't know the way they, they hurt me there. Why is it that almost every single wedding I've ever been to or officiated, that the pastor, the officiant to this couple that has their excitement, their hope, they've professed their vows to one another, why is it that almost every single wedding I've ever been to, which is a lot, why is it almost every single time there's a moment in the ceremony where the pastor or officiant is talking about forgiveness? and the importance of forgiveness, the need for forgiveness. Why? Because these two imperfect people are choosing to do life together for the rest of their lives, and we all know that you're gonna hurt each other because of your imperfections, because of your sin, your flaws, and what you bring to the table, your baggage, and all of that. And Katie and I have a really great, strong marriage. We're doing really well right now, and I'm thankful to God for that. And I hurt her last week. Last week, I said something that I could have said way better. And I could tell the moment I said it, it hurt her. And I had no intention of hurting her at all. I didn't want to hurt her. That was the last thing I wanted to do. And I, like an idiot, didn't think enough through what I was going to say before I said it. And then I said something, and she was like, oh. And I could tell in that moment I hurt her. And I apologized, and, and, and she walked away, and I took some time, and I came back to her, and I said, honey, I said this. That, the way I said that, I could have said that way better. That was stupid. I should have said it like this. That's not what I meant. I see how me saying it that way probably made you feel like this or, or could have made, me, made you think that I saw you this way, and that's not true. Here's how I see you, and here's what I think, and here's how I should have said that. Honey, I am sorry. Would you please forgive me? And she did forgive me. Not only did she forgive me, she thanked me for my apology. See, in marriage, we understand that if you're going to stick together with those vows, that till death do us part, that you're going to have to get good at forgiveness and reconciliation. We understand that. Guess what? If we are going to be the body of Christ 
and answer the biblical call to unity, which is abundant. And if we are going to be effective as a local church family, spreading the gospel into our spheres of influence in our relationships personally and then into the community as a church family, we will have to have unity. And just like in marriage, we will have to get good at forgiveness and reconciliation. So how do we respond? What do we do? It's not hard. I bet you can answer. What do we do? Listen, if you're struggling to forgive people in general or even a specific person, what I want to encourage you to do today is take a hard look in the mirror. And after taking a hard look in the mirror to look at all of the wrongs you have committed, after looking all the sins that you have done, after reminding yourself of the things that you've done to fall short on other people or fail or hurt or offend others, just look in the mirror for a minute and remember, oh yeah, there's some planks here as I'm so upset about that speck. Take a good hard look in the mirror and then so that you don't get into condemnation, turn and take a good hard look at the cross and remember what Jesus Christ did for you And in so doing that, look at his grace, mercy, and forgiveness and let yourself become a conduit, not just a container where you keep that mercy, that forgiveness, that grace to yourself, but you become a conduit to give that mercy and forgiveness. If you have aught in your heart against anyone, I want you to sit and think about Jesus taking a beating, taking whips, taking nails, suffocating on a cross for you, And then I wanna challenge you to right now give that same forgiveness to that person in your heart right now. Like if, if you're sitting here thinking of someone, there's someone in your mind who you have ought in your heart against right now, before you get up when we dismiss, before you walk out and leave and go get your kids or go do whatever you're doing today, start talking and joking around with people or whatever it might be, before you get up, I want you to stay in your seat and I want you to think, And I want you to think about Christ and what he did for you. And I want you to have that moment in your seat where you go, Father, you have forgiven me of much. I am called to freely forgive of much. I have received much grace from you. God, help me give much grace. Help me in my heart, not just in tongue, not in word, but in my heart, forgive them right now. Next, I want you to stop treating people differently if you've truly forgiven them. If you've truly forgiven someone in your heart, don't treat them differently. Aren't you again thankful that Jesus doesn't do that with us? And finally, on the flip side, all of this talk today about forgiveness and sin and wronging others and reconciliation, maybe you're sitting there today and you've realized, oh, actually, this has helped me see I need to ask someone for forgiveness. Even though we haven't really taught on that today, and if that's you, bite the bullet, step up, go to someone and say, hey, I wronged you this way, and I realized what I did wrong, and I shouldn't have done that, and there's this ought between us. Would you please forgive me? And hopefully they do, but even if they don't, you have done your part to be a minister of reconciliation. Do it today. Do it today today. Do it today. Don't get out of here and get distracted by football and playoff hopes. 
Don't get out of here and get distracted by your appetite and your hunger. Choose right now. And in fact, if you need to, you might have a friend or a family member or a spouse that you need to turn to and say, you know, I need to go make this right between John or Henry or whomever it might be. I'm just pulling names out of the air. Don't think that's a subtle hint or anything like that. Do it today. Lord, I ask today that your Holy Spirit would be at work through your word, that you would be bringing to light, helping any of us see if there's any offense or wrong that we have in our heart between us and anyone else. And I ask that you would give us the courage to make it right. Lord, I ask that you would help us follow the model of you, Jesus, that we would be quick to forgive, even if we're not even asked for forgiveness, that we would say, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And that we, similarly like you, would just continue to forgive, not seven times, not even 70 times, seven, but we couldn't, wouldn't keep a record. And Lord, today I also pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who hasn't received your grace, that has heard today the gospel, recognizing that you came to give love and give mercy and give forgiveness, that they would receive it today, recognizing that their sin has been paid for by your work on the cross. Let them confess that sin and repent and turn from it. Ask that you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit and transfer them, change them, and make them new. Lord, help all of us fight for unity. For the sake of your name, your kingdom, and your work. In Jesus' name, amen.